Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Today I'm going to preach from Psalm 131 and uh, Bible scholars debate over the background of the writing of this psalm. So some Bible scholars believe that it was written when David was under attack by King Saul, the previous Saul to David, and that he was being persecuted and followed and attacked by Saul. Some people believe that he wrote it then. Uh, Some people believe that he did it when his wife was totally unimpressed with the way that he was worshiping God and uh, said some pretty nasty things. And so either way, he was under attack, either by the king or by his wife, you know, Pick, pick your poison. They're no, both no good. And so he wrote this Psalm 131. This is what it says. It says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with the things too great and too marvelous for me. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Uh, Just three verses. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, he said this. He says, it's one of the shortest Psalms to read, but one of the longest Psalms to learn. He said, it speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man in God. It says, I have calmed and I have quieted my soul. I thought today was appropriate on the opening of the Covert Memorial Library to preach a message about calming and quietening our soul called shh. Everyone do that with me. Shh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word is living and we thank you that your word is powerful and we thank you that your word is active and we thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to get into areas of our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. So God, we come into your house today. We are ready to be inspired by the word of God. We're ready to be fired up to believe for you to do great things. We declare in our heart today that this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. So God, overshadow everybody here in this building and overshadow everybody who's watching online. Lord, be with us right now by your Holy Spirit. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. got to turn the mic on. Welcome to the Alexandria Public Library. So glad to be of your assistance. Hi, uh, I'm trying to... Hey, this is a library. You need to keep your aggressive, obnoxious voice down to a shh, please. But... Shay! Shh! I'm trying to find a book called from reckless to reconcile. Okay. 
Oh, from Reckless to Reconcile by Bob Randolph Fitzgerald Roden. I'll need your library card. Hmm. Huh, you have an overdue library book. Huh? You took out Elmo's greatest hits over 20 years ago. Huh? And you never returned it. You owe a fine of $50,978.51. Hey, hey, come back here. I hope you're going after the money. Young whippersnapper. Mr. Dewey Decimal, the book whisperer, speaking. What? Really? You don't say. Why, thank you very much. Wow! I just won an all-exclusive <laughs> trip to the World Book Fair in Paris. Uh, crosses cultural barriers. Doesn't matter pretty much what country you're in. I uh, was in the Amharic service at 8.30, and pretty much every person there had used the term shh. It's the international signal for please be quiet. A little bit like SOS is the signal for help or emergency. Uh, if you have a, a small child, yesterday, my middle daughter gave birth to my second grandson, Luca Morgan Rocco De Coco. And so uh, I'm pretty excited. And, and so when you have a small child and the child is, you know, angry, or they, we, shh, we try to calm down uh, their spirit. Now, if you're on the uh, 18th hole in Tiger Woods, is uh, putting for a triple birdie. I have no idea what that means. I hate golf. But anyway, to win the US Open, everyone's going to be gathered around and they're going to go, If you're in the library, at some point, if you're too noisy, you're going to hear the word, Everyone do that with me right now, just to, Maybe turn and face the people online and, I'm talking. What are you doing at home with the blender on? <laughs> oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Three verses, three thoughts together from the psalmist. 
I've wrapped it up so we could put it around three words, just three simple words. Poise, peace, and premise. Poise, peace, and premise. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. It begins out with our position, with our poise. How you and I position ourselves to do life. The psalm begins with an emphatic reference to Yahweh. My Lord, my, my, my God, my, my Lord, my heart. When I see you, I dedicate my heart to you. True surrender begins. Our heart is humbled in its beginning when we can turn to God and we can call Him Lord, when we can call Him uh, our Heavenly Father, when we can call Him our Savior, when we stand back and we acknowledge God as God and we make this premise, you are God and I am not. Is there anybody in the house that would say that today? That God is God and you are definitely not. I know a lot of you are going, he is God and John, you are definitely not. And I'm glad for that because we'd be in a bad way if I was God. I'm just telling you right now, it wouldn't be good. That the king of Israel is the most powerful man in the world. You think about that. At that king's command, he could just have somebody killed. At the king's command, he could have somebody imprisoned. He is the most powerful man in the land and wealthy. He's built uh, kingdoms, he's got finance, he's got armies. He is an unbelievably powerful man. But David, with all this power, hasn't forgotten where he came from. He pretty much is a shepherd wearing a crown. He knows who he is. And he's like, you know what? I know who I am. And so my heart is not elevated. I am not self-promoting. I, I, I do not uh, approach things arrogantly. I come to God with true humility. Now, humility is sort of counterintuitive to our society today. In a dog-eat-dog world, in a, you know, just trample on anybody to get to the top, whatever you need to do, it's counterintuitive to our world that's full of arrogance and pride and, and self-seeking. When you read the Scripture, you see people who struggle with humility, who were full of those things. But the psalmist says, O Lord, my God, I, I, I come to you with a humble heart. Humility says to Yahweh, you are God and I am not. I, I think this is an incredibly important thing for us to remember as believers, that he is God. Because Jesus taught us and the New Testament teaches us that you and I can come into the throne room boldly. We don't have to sacrifice an animal. We don't have to spill blood. We don't have to do anything to get into God's presence. You and I can just walk into the throne room boldly. My daughters, if they're at church, my grandchildren, if they're at church, they can just, I don't care who I'm counseling, they can just come in to my office boldly. God says, you can do that in my throne room and cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. So he is Daddy, God. He is Abba, Father, and we have that access. But at the end of the day, after all of that, he is still God. I, I've heard it preached, people pray like God was their chum, like God was their buddy, like God was their pal, like God was their next door neighbor. He is not your pal, he is not your buddy, he's not your chum, he's not your best friend, he is God, he is sovereign God. And we come into his throne room with confidence and boldness, but we always remember he is Yahweh, he is Elohim, he is God, he is our God. 
Great poise begins with knowing who you are, but feeling absolutely no obligation to have to prove it to anybody. I, 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 I'm not sure if it's just this season in my life, but I've, I've said that to my wife multiple times. One of the things I love about this season that we're in right now is I feel under absolutely no pressure to prove anything to anybody. I feel like God's in control. I feel like I'm in a happy space. I feel like I'm where God wants me to be. I know who I am. I'm probably not gonna change at my age now. Probably gonna stay who I am. And, uh, and I like who I am. I'm friends with myself. And so I know who I am. I'm confident. But at the end of the day, I know I don't have to promote myself. I know I don't have to push myself. I wanna encourage you, know who you are and then like, let God promote you. You don't have to push yourself. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, verse 34, but to the humble, he gives favor. In James chapter four, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, verse five to seven says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand. This is what the psalmist is saying. Oh Lord, you are my God, but I come into your, I know that you are God. I acknowledge that you are God, but I humble myself in the sight of the Lord. It says under, your, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the premise of God. Church has got it all around the wrong way. What we think is we've got to start from the premise that, that we can't ever be exalted, that we can't ever be elevated, that we can't ever be successful, that we can't ever be prosperous, that somehow we just got to live our life like worms with people crushing us and should never have any ambition. We should never have any goals. You should never have any dreams. We, all we do is we get saved and then we just wait until we die and then we pop through and the pearly gates of heaven are, oh, we run in. That's what a lot of people think that Christianity is. It's like fire insurance for death. But Christianity is far more than that. The Bible is far more than that. God does not have any issue with you being successful. Listen, the only person that gains on the planet by your failure is the devil. The only person who gains by your poverty is the devil. The only person who fails by you not being all that you were created to be is the devil. God has no problem with your success. But we portrayed it in the church like God, God doesn't want us to take the position, I can never be successful, I can never uh, be prosperous, I can never break out, I can never have a dream. And then we flip it to the other side where God is waiting to humble us. And as soon as you pop your lousy head out of the thing and try to be, God's like, ah, just take that. And he's gonna crush your spirit. That's how the church has preached it. That's not how the Bible wrote it. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, I humble myself, I come low. I level myself in the sight of who? Of the Lord. And what will he do? He will lift me up. God does not outsource our humility. It's not my job to keep you humble, not your job to keep me humble. This is not, God doesn't outsource, God, not even God's job to keep you humble. God says, you keep yourself humble. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and I will lift you up. So we learn from this, if our heart is made low, then God can lift us up. 
Because the problem is, if we lift ourselves up without humbling ourselves before God, if it's all just driven by us, our ascent to the top will be very rapid, but our descent will be even faster. If you elevate yourself too quickly before the time of God, Saul was elevated quickly. David took years. We see the results of both of those kingdoms. And so if you uh, elevate yourself, the ascent may be rapid, but the descent will even be faster. And so we, we, we come with a position where I humble myself before God. I don't need to promote myself. I don't need to push myself. I just need to trust God with my life, dream big dreams and wait for Him to lift me up, wait for Him to elevate me, wait for Him to promote me. My heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised high. David learned that arrogance under the influence of pride uh, will make you look down on people and you'll just see people as an object. Somebody said this, I said, arrogance is an expression of pride. It is the proud who are arrogant, but arrogance goes beyond pride in that it's pride looking down on other people. So pride will manifest itself with not just you feeling good about yourself, but thinking that everybody else is hopeless. Everybody else is useless. No one else is valuable. They are just a commodity that you can use to get your way to the top. But the psalmist is not saying that. The psalmist says, my eyes are not raised too high. I, I, I don't overinflate my opinion of myself. The book of Romans tells us, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to look to think, but to think what? Soberly. Now it doesn't say don't think highly. It just says don't think more highly. It doesn't say don't have a strong opinion and know who you are and be confident. It just says don't have an overinflated opinion of who you are. And so when you have an overinflated opinion of who you are, then you tend to treat other people poorly with arrogance and being inappropriate. But God says, no, I want your heart to be humbled. I want you to walk well with me. When we are humble in our heart, we can forgive. When we're humble in our heart, we can let go. When we're humble in our heart, we can move on. When you're arrogant, you gotta hold that person that offended you. You gotta hold that person who hurt you with contempt and wanna just, you, you, you'll pay the price for that. We just get that aggression in us. And Jesus taught us that that's unhealthy. David was well aware of his history. He was well aware that he was called from the sheepfold. He was well aware that he was rejected from his father's invite to even come to the party when Saul was anointing the next king of Israel. And he was very aware that it was only God that made him a king and gave him the ability to prophesy. So David knew in his heart of hearts, he knew that he was highly favored by God. He knew that he was anointed to be the king and he knew that God had inspired him to write Psalms, to write prophetic words down. So David did not allow his power to make him haughty. Didn't, didn't allow his authority to make him filled with pride. And so he, he loved those who persecuted him. He paid honor to his dead enemies he spared his incestuous and murderous children. David was able to move on. I want to encourage you. We need to have a heart like David. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with the things too great and too marvelous for me. So I'm, I, I, I'm not going to be consumed. I'm not going to be driven. 
I'm not going to be forced. I'm going to know who I am. I'm going to know who my God is, but I'm not going to allow my life to get under stress. I'm not going to allow my life to get under pressure. David poised himself. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, what? To be at peace with all men. So when it comes to us, our responsibility is to have peace in our life. Psalm 73 verse 28 says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your good works. So our our, our faith begins in his presence. It's a position. I know who I am. I've humbled myself on the side of the Lord. I don't have to elevate myself over anybody. I can love all people. But because I'm full of confidence and because I'm full of faith, because I know who I am and I can trust God to elevate me. I don't need to block anybody else or stop anybody else or oppose anybody else. Because I know who I am and I'm quietening my soul. I, I don't want it to be cloudy or messed up. And so then it moves on to this next word, peace. It says there in verse two, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I have calmed and I have quieted my soul. I told my mind how I think, my will, what I want, my emotions, how I feel. I've spoken to my soul and I've said, my mind has tried to race It's trying to get me panicking, thinking of a bajillion things that I need to do, and I have quieted my soul. I've spoken to those thoughts and said, shh. Society is trying to get me to panic. If you watch enough media, watch enough news, they're definitely trying to get you to freak out. It's all set up to get you to freak out. And depending what channel you watch, it's getting you to freak out on that one thing that they're focusing on. And God says, no, you know what's going on around you, but what's going on inside you, you've got to speak to your soul and you've got to go, shh, shh, to the way I think, shh, to the way I feel, shh, to the things I want. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted forever. Be still. Be still. Calm your spirit. Get still before God. But it's not just being still. Scripture says, be still and know. So be still, but stay engaged. When I was a young Christian, I was really good at the being still bit when I needed to. Not real good on the and no. Real good on the still. So my pastor and I would pray for an hour every day. And uh, prayer would usually start off intense. God! Varicose veins out the neck, just spitting everywhere. I was just intense prayer. Oh, God. And that lasted for me about three minutes. After that, I had nothing to say. And so I was very good at being still. And so for the next 55 minutes, I would snore in tongues. <laughs> I'd just lie down, pretend I was waiting on God, but in all honesty, I, wasn't, I, was, I was out cold. And about an hour in, I'm like to my pastor, are you awake? He's like, are you awake? Yeah, of course I'm awake. <laughs> I was being still and knowing that I was, it was God. So it's not about being still. And sometimes it's good just to be still and go to sleep. That, that, that's perfectly fine. But that's not what the scripture's talking about here. It says, I want you to be still and keep focus. 
I want you to, I want you to be still and stay on track. I, I want you to be still and have an awareness of his presence. For me, I like to do that by putting worship music on. I like to do that by closing the door to the world, turning my phone off to everybody else, not having any outside contact, just having worship music and just walking around in the presence of God. And in those moments, I've had some of my greatest God encounters. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still in the Lord, get still before God and not be panicking about the world, not be panicking about your enemies, not be panicking, just, just bring it all into God's presence saying, God, I, I give it all over to you. I will not be anxious. I will not be in panic mode. I will not be in depression. I will not be under oppression. I'm gonna have the joy of the Lord as my strength. I'm gonna be still and I'm gonna know that he is God. There's some things that we need to know about the intimacy of God, like our librarian who seriously damaged his ears in Nam. And so now he's a librarian, probably not a really good job for a librarian. And he's like, welcome to the Alexandria Public Library. That, that shouting was created by previous damage. And it's hard to come into the presence of God if your soul is soiled by previous damage. It's hard to come in quiet before God if you're still angry at somebody. You're still angry at that ex-spouse. You're still angry at that school teacher. You're still angry at that first boss. You're still angry at that child. You're still angry at that pastor. You're still angry at that leader. You're still angry at the person who cut you off the road five weeks ago. You're still angry over, you know, just your parents, whatever it is. When anger is in your soul, it's hard to be still and know that he is God. You gotta bring, that's why you gotta lay it all at his feet and let forgiveness flow in. It's hard to, hard to get still before God if you have an overdue library book. If you've not been to the library for 20 years, if you've never prayed, prayer is a habit. It's not just an event when everything goes wrong. Oh. Now for some of us that is. but it should be a lifestyle. It should be something we do every day. It's conversation with God. It's coming in and there's multiple conversations with your spouse, with, with other people. It's not like one level of conversation. Some levels of conversation are intimate. Some levels of conversation are business. Some levels of conversation are social. That's how we should engage with God. Sometimes I'm just driving. To, I came to church this morning and I was just talking to God. God, I'm looking forward to a great day. This is a fan, we've been planning this day for a long time. I, I thank you that everything is gonna flow nice and smoothly and everything's gonna go. I was just chatting to God. I was telling God, I, I, I tell God every day, thank you for letting my wife marrying me. I, I, I'm so glad that whatever it was that you messed up her eyesight and she thought I was good looking, I thank you for that. Thank you for never healing that in her. Thank you for keeping that delusion upon her life for the rest of her, whatever. I, I'm just thanking God for who he is. But then there are just times you just gotta be shh and say nothing and wait for him to speak or pray and worship and open the word and wait for the word of God to speak to you. But if you don't do it as a habit, if you have an overdue library book, it's hard to engage God in principle. And the third thing that can distract us is excessive celebration. You are the winner. Someone's always gonna get in your way to pray. Someone's always, there's always gonna be something urgent in the way that you can't pray. There's always gonna be a reason why you can't take time out to pray. 
There's going to be something. You just have to realize if there's nothing there, the devil's going to create something because he wants you not to pray. He does not want you in the presence of God. He doesn't want you in the face of God. And so there is going to come some, at some point, you're just going to lay the distractions aside and ask yourself, is this thing really going to change? I've had that happen as a pastor. I've had people call me, I need to see you now. I'm like, well, what about? And they're like, well, I've, I've had this issue for 15 years. I need to talk to you now. Oh, bro, if you've had it for 15, you can wait for 15 in a day. Your urgency is not going to be my panic. Now, if I've got the time open and I can see him, I'll be like, yeah, sure, come. But if I've got plans to pray, read the word, preach my message, whatever I've got to do, counsel somebody else, your urgency at 15, you've had 15 years to deal with it. You can wait 15 years and 24 hours. And I'm telling you to do that. You gotta sit back and go, okay, is this thing really urgent? Does it like, like your child's like, I stabbed myself in the leg with a knife. Well, that you probably should stop praying and go and heal their leg. I'm bleeding out and dying. Yeah, okay, that one there, that's urgent. But that's not rocket science. But there are things that your kid's like, I've been picking my nose for 10 years. My teacher's angry. She's gonna kick me out of school. Okay, well, I'm probably not gonna solve it in a day. You follow what I'm saying? There's just some things that you've just got to get yourself in the presence of God and not allow to be distracted. Isaiah said, even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge of Him. He will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on Him. Why? Because you trust in Him. How many people are grateful for the peace of God in our lives? Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I come as a child. I'm humble. I am simple. I am reliant. As Jesus said, those who want to receive the kingdom of God, you've got to come in childlike. So I am childlike, but I am not childish. There's a difference between being childlike and being Childish. Paul wrote, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So the difference between coming to Jesus as a child and having childish ways. I'm like a weaned child. So this child that the psalmist is describing is somebody that was breastfed, but now is not breastfed any longer. Now they're being able to f be fed different food. In, in, in some cases, being able to feed themselves. I'm not reliant on me and my, and my thing and I need it now, which is childish. Childlike is everything is an adventure. I've watched my, my, my grandson, Marcus, grow up. He's nearly two. Everything is an adventure. He sees a wall. We see as a wall. That wall is a barrier, so you can't go outside. He sees that as a wall. Is I think I can climb that. And so he's going to try to climb. He's going to get onto the floor. He's going to be crawling around on the floor. And there's going to be a ball. And you're going to think to yourself, that's a ball. I could throw that ball on the wall. I could put the ball on the wall, bounce the ball off the wall. He sees that ball as like, this is potential food. And so he's going to go over and try to eat the ball. Why? Because everything is an adventure. 
but childish is sitting in the corner crying, wanting everything to be done for you. Do this for me. Make this happen for me. Do it my way. Childlike faith is coming into church as a little child and say, God, I want a fresh encounter with you. When worship kicks in, you're not sitting back there looking at whether you like the song or you like the singers or you like the guitarist or whatever. You're not, you're not, you're not distracted. You're childlike. You're coming in. You don't need anybody to do anything for you. You're going to come in. You're going to worship God. You're going to love on God. You're going to hold on to God because God is with you. He's going to do that. He's going to do that. Difference between being childlike and child-ish. The last word is premise. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. O Israel, hope in the Lord. David wraps this psalm up with a foundation, the premise of our hope, confidence and peace. O Israel, hope in the Lord. You have my heart, I'm in your hands, uh, and you are, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. My hope is in the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So this is the platform that their foundation of hope is in God. Why from now forever? God's with me right now. He's gonna be with me consistently. He has been with me in my past. How many people would say God has been with you in your past? Give me a wave of your hand. So he's the same yesterday. How many people know that God is with you today? So he's the same today. So if he's been the same yesterday and the same today, then you've got to trust him that he's going to be the same forever. He's going to be with you tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, the week after that, the month after that, the year after that, the decade after that. God is with you. And if God before you, my hope is in the Lord. The psalm opens up. He says, oh Lord, I give you my heart. And then it closes with, Oh, Israel, give him your future. Oh, Lord, I, I, I give you my heart. And because I give you my heart, God, I am going to give you my future. David's humility comes from knowing who he is, where he came from, who he's serving, what who he's serving is going to do. And then he can just be still, man up with eagle's wings, know who he is. Some of you have had an incredibly difficult season. Life has been beating the tar out of you. Words have been spoken over you and people have been vindictive towards you. And maybe some of you here have made dumb decisions. And you're like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I don't know why, 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 why I did that. But I want to encourage you today that God is speaking to you. If you're watching on way online, that God is speaking to you and he's saying, shh. Maybe today's the day to calm your soul. Maybe today's the day to go home get still before God and say, God, I, 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 I want you to pour your presence out on me. I'm going to ask Russell and the band to come up and singers to come up. I did a bit of a mash of a couple of hymns and uh, just to close this message out because I thought it tied everything in brilliantly that God knows who we are. That's the amazing thing about God to me is like, like scientists have just now got a telescope where they've been able to penetrate into the galaxies and finding galaxies millions of light years away that are bigger than our galaxy. And they're blown away by a God, let there be light and all this happening. And they started to realize how big their galaxy is and how small our galaxy is. 
When you think about how small our galaxy is, then you've got to think about how small our world is in the solar system. When you think about how small our world is, you've got to think about how small our nation is. Yesterday, I became a U.S. citizen, a granddad, second time, and a U.S. citizen on the same day. It was a great day. So we, we get an idea of how small in the scope of everything our nation is. Well, then you think about how small our state is in the nation. And think about how small our city is in our state. And think about how small your home address is in that city. And think about how tiny you are in the house. And yet all of that, God still loves you. He's still counting every hair on your head. He's still bottling every tear, which is Bible speak for. He's interested in every detail of your life. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heavens, heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow and I know He watched, watched over me. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How many people are glad for a great God?